Hello and welcome to episode two of Designing with Climate in Mind, hosted by me, John Koo. We're in the midst of a climate emergency, which is arguably our biggest design challenge. In this series, I'm sitting down with a range of expert guests, all at the cutting edge of reimagining our buildings, cities and communities, whose message is provoking the changes that we need to see right now. Today, I'm joined by Mark Shaler, eco-innovator, visionary public speaker and guru of all things sustainability. Mark's been working with some of the most successful companies on their eco-vision, including Coca-Cola, Unilever, Samsung and John Lewis. Over the years, he's helped us out at Interface 2. He's also one of the founding partners of the Doolitches, which I consider to be one of the best ideas festivals in the world. Today, we'll be exploring the mindset shifts needed for a green recovery, the dichotomy of old thinking versus new, and how we can best use our voices to create a climate that's fit for life. Mark, welcome to Designing with Climate in Mind. To start off with, tell us where you are and how your week's going. Okay, well, I'm sat in my garden studio, which we we built to run workshops in. Now, clearly, you can't run workshops in the time of lockdown. So it's it's doubled as an amazing space to work in. And we've also got a couple of watt bikes and a, and a screen showing pelotons. It's become a gym as well, which means it can be a bit whiffy in, in, in the morning. Um, and it's about 70 metres from a house at the bottom of the garden. How are the chickens? They've been a bit boisterous, and every now and again they'll skittle across the garden. I'm looking at them through the window now, and uh, they seem quite happy. Sounds like the studio has really reinvented itself over the last couple of months where we've been in, in lockdown. And I guess... Um, not holding back any punches, I thought I'd just start with this as a question. Um, 2020 has been a hard year for all of us, I think. And um, would you say that 2020 has changed you? And if so, how? I've really enjoyed the pause. Trust me, I'm not enjoying the fact that people are dying. I'm not enjoying the fact that people are losing their jobs and more of that to come. But in terms of having an enforced pause, it's been really interesting. And those people who lead through this, those people who have floated to the top in terms of the responsibility that they carry and the message that they send, they're going to they're gonna boom afterwards. And it's been really interesting. It's not been the, the natural candidates that have actually performed well. There's been some quite surprising communications from some people. And, um, and, and the ones that have floated to the top, they've been the people that you probably wouldn't have expected to. So it's been really interesting and it will change. I mean, we, you know, there are hundreds of people saying hundreds of things every second about what 2020 means. For me, it's, it's been about pulling the business back to its core. It's been about understanding that sustainability is going to be here for a long, long time. Um, it's understanding that diversity, which makes things stronger, it's been a it's been a, a clear message when this stuff is never ever going to go back to where it was, and that's a good thing. I think I totally agree on viewpoints. I mean, a lot of the listeners to this podcast are designers, creatives, or sustainability professionals who are fighting sometimes to get 
sustainability and inclusion is a huge issue at the moment on on the map and i would agree i it's been amazing to see the different voices that have stepped forward um i mean the one that comes to mind most at the moment is kind of marcus rashford i mean as a as a footballer to step forward and speak so eloquently and to be so committed um and to just be so authentic in where he was coming from was was remarkable and i think whether you're a premiership footballer or especially with the black lives matter campaign the new voices that are coming through has been absolutely fascinating and it's it's been refreshing in what has been a really difficult time for for everyone and the fact that i think people are willing to get a little bit uncomfortable in what they want to say but they're also willing to get people uncomfortable in the audience that they're talking to and look at someone like marcus rashford who has unbelievable natural skill but it's, it's a bit of fight, you know. He he relied on on all of the services that are being cut in order to elevate himself so that he could be seen, so that then he could then go on and be scouted and go and do the things that, that, that the amazing things that he's done. I think there's a theme that's been coming through lockdown of, around generosity and people being more more generous than perhaps they were for the last couple of years. Is that something that you've seen or? Those people that have really shone are the people that have been generous and that have given and and looked at what they need and then what their community, and then from there extrapolated what their community needs. Now, the challenge of that, and I've fallen foul of this a little bit, um, is how do you then move from giving it away to charging for it when things things become that they don't go back nothing's going to go back to normal is uh, is it it's going to be a really i mean the structural realignment that's going to happen as a result of covid is going to be way more impactful than covid you know this is this is the truth um but how do you begin to recharge how do you begin to charge again for things that you've been given away how do you do that on that fact you i think you've been incredibly generous with your time over the last couple of months like um you ran an event earlier this week for free a one-day yeah. communion that brought some of the most authentic speakers and voices that need to be heard together. Tell us about it, what it was, what it meant to you, and what the aim was. The day that lockdown was announced, which I th- if I can't remember, what, I think it was a Monday night, I can't remember. I thought, what what do I need? What do I... What, what am I going to struggle with? I, and I go down to London. I live in Leicestershire. I go down to London. It's one hour on the fast train. Uh, and I'm down there two, maybe three days a week. And I love that. I love the people that I see on the train. I love the interaction that I have with the people at the station. I love cycling through London. God knows if my bike's still at Euston Station. I, I hope it is. Um, I'll I check on it for you if you want. <laughs> Thank you. I love the chats with people. Um, I'm a member of a, ch- a members charity members club in the middle of London, the middle of Soho, and um, I love the people I chat to there. I thought, God, I'm actually the work I'm going to miss because 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 you know it's nice to be paid to do something good, but I'm actually going to miss the communion. I'm going to miss meeting these people. So I thought, well, look, if I'm going to miss it, somebody else will. So why don't I set up on a Monday morning? I do a communion in the morning, nine o'clock. People just dive on and we'll talk for an hour and then we'll say goodbye, start the week well. So I put that on Instagram and uh, loads of people signed up for the first one. And then a load of people said, oi, 
what about America? You seem to have forgotten America. And I'm thinking, I'm not American. But um, yeah, I'll do one at five o'clock in the evening as well. So I ended up doing two the first week or every week since then, 15 weeks now. And um, and they're really powerful, you know? And, and it, you know what it was like at the start of all this? It was about oh, how am I going to survive? And and I, I, we just went around, what positive things have you seen this week? And we, we had a kind of focal point for discussion. Um but over time, you know, you run out of things to say. So I got, I, I invited guests in and right, and some of them wanted to do a presentation and then a chat. So they're on for an hour, 15 minute presentation, 15 minute chat and half an hour with the questions from everybody else who's on there. You know, we're getting, we're getting up to 80, 90 people, something like that, most Mondays. Um, and that format really worked and then after the first one i recorded them so they're all online at um, reasons to be cheerful.co.uk which is uh, a, again it's a gifting site there's we don't it's not selling anything and um and i kept thinking about doing a one day one i kept thinking about what would it look like if i took all of the learning because you know i compare events or events all over the, the world and i choose speakers for three or four different different organizations and different events and I thought, okay, well, what would it look like if I have I've got no constraints? Normally, I'll suggest speakers for, you know, for example, the do lectures, and um, and maybe one of the six that I suggest gets selected. And I thought, what would it look like if I got my own way for all for all of this stuff? And um, so I did, and um, and the day looked really good. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And I thought about the structure. I thought, okay, well, people have got to educate their children, maybe do their work, um, go for exercise, whatever. They've got to fit their world in around this. So I did a series. I did six one-hour chunks, two speakers a chunk, and um, and I thought really carefully about who went with whom. And there weren't always the obvious choices, you know, that they're not always the obvious choices to get put next to each other. Um, and then I rang the people who I wanted to hear from. I started there. We had a, you know, we had a, an amazing array of speakers on that day. And we had, uh, it was a bit scary because we had, I think we were, I think we'd booked, I think we'd got 500 spaces on, um, on the, any, there are other, other networks available for broadcasting, but on zoom, we'd paid for 500 and, um, and then we had a massive rush. Well, the last speaker is a guy called Mr. Bingo, who was an irreverent and amazing artist. And um, we had a massive rush of people. So we were put like 480 people signed up. And, and how much did you charge for this event, Mark? It's free. We had exactly. some of the best speakers in the world and we did it for free. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the power of, of kind of the generosity that you've, you've kind of been bringing. And I think there's so much importance around giving people a bit of hope and inspiration. And um, no, it was a, a remarkable event. I was just thinking back, Mark, to the first time we met. I think it was at EcoBuild, which is now FutureBuild, and we were at a sustainability workshop with M&S exploring sustainable fashion. That was probably around 2014, 2015. And I was trying to work out how has the world moved on? Are we really, you know, what's changed and has the pace of change been fast enough? But, um, yeah, I think you made me rap. That was my... um, my, my I didn't make you rap. You wanted to rap, John. You are a natural showman. But I, because I use music so much in my presentations, you really picked up on that and came back with some vanilla ice, if I remember rightly. I think it was stop, collaborate, and listen. But let's explore that point as well. In terms of your love of music, 
where did that start? And also, how did it end up being useful for you when you're talking and engaging around the environment, sustainability and eco design? It's a great question. So where did it start? It started in 1972 when I was four and I saw Mark Bolan on TV and just thought, wow, that's like nothing I've ever seen. Doesn't dress like my dad. Definitely quite um, eccentric and, and flamboyant. Musically, you know, glam rock had something really beautiful about it. You know, the the kind of searing arrogance of rock and roll which um, which actually came from Honky Tonk. First rock and roll star was um, was a black performer rather than a white performer. We kind of forget that, um, and yet and yet it had the kind of glitz of um, of, of um, flamboyance of glitter. And so um, I fell in love with music because I fell in love with T Rex. And as as I, as I went through life, music just became more and more important to me. If music was that powerful for me, I knew it would be that powerful for other people. And the beauty of building a presentation around music is that you can hang anything off it. So if I'm talking like today, I'm using music. Later on, I'm talking about design and I'm talking about how being how being um, creatively courageous is the only way out of the situation that we're in. And I will pin that to music all the way through. I'll talk about the creative phases in music. If I'm talking about climate change, as I did for you in Clarkmore Design Week last year, I um I will pin parts per million measurements to music because everyone remembers how they felt when a certain genre or a certain era of music occurred. My challenge is keeping up with it all, by the way. You um, do a good job. Um that I mean it's that I think it helped you using music helped you find who you are, but also it, as you say, it's a wonderful tool to connect with with a whole range of different audiences and make sustainability really personal i guess the other thing with music is it it always responds to the time and i think um i came back to that where we started discussion around what things were like in kind of six or seven or eight years ago versus now even then you were talking around that shift from old thinking to to new thinking and in 2020 we really i think we really need that and i'm not sure we're moving Fast enough, but in terms of your view on the the old order and the new order, and I, I remember through your presentations, you always have a a couple of points to make on this. Do you want to share a little bit with this group around that dichotomy and also where you think it's going, and will twenty twenty really be that kickstart that we need? Oh, and twenty twenty is already is that kickstart, and what it's done is it's hastened the changes that were already happening. Some of those changes are a um, little unpredictable. So I've always talked about old versus new. So, so you know, things are moving from power is shifting from west to east as China, um, t- you know, ha- goes through its own bourgeoisification process, becomes more middle class, has a greater spend. That changes the consumption power. So the consumption power was always in the West and the productive power was in the East, or I say always, the last 30 years. Um, increasingly, the, the production power will be in Africa and the and the consumption power will, will be in the East. And, and that is a massive shift in the way that things are designed and made. Little, little things. I remember going into a Paul Smith shop um, 20 years ago, buying a bracelet, loved it, wore it, fell apart after 15 years, went to buy another one, 
and um, they're now designed for the, um, the smaller frame of a, the Japanese consumer, and the bracelet won't fit my wrist. And I'm thinking, ah, that's really frustrating. Of course, it's not frustrating for, for all Japanese men. It's absolutely slightly thinner wrist. I get it completely. So that shift from west to east is really interesting. The shift from male to female, long, long overdue. And as we begin to... Um, as we begin to dismantle the patriarchy, things will get better for both men and women. And the fear that men have, I remember speaking at an event and this bloke came up to me and went, the problem with feminism is it's gone just far, it's gone too far. It's, unless things are equal, it hasn't gone far enough, right? So that power is going to shift. And from the on, old consumers- on, on that one, I think if you look at the response to Greta Thunberg and who the critics have been to her, that resonates. But when I think about climate change and I think about who have really been leading? It's Greta. It's Christiana Figueres. It's it's actually there's a, a feminine energy around it, even if it's not on a gender basis. Um, that's very noticeable to me. Hugely noticeable, and the world will get better as we become less patriarchal for for certain. Look, the the, the old guard they're dying, right? They are genuinely aging out, and there is nothing more dangerous than a dying lion. So it isn't going to be easy, but it's it's going to happen. And this makes the world better for everyone. And that's what we need to that's what we need to remember in in all of this. Um and then you've got the shift from old thinking to new thinking. Every everyone knows everything. Everyone is connected. We've democratized creativity through our phones. That's a really powerful shift. Not from old people to new people, young people, but from old thinking to young thinking, from retailer to consumer, from professional to amateur, from employee to leader. We're all leaders. From product to service, we've over over egged that one. It's not quite there yet, but important. From CSR to CSV, from 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 corporate social responsibility to creating shared value, wealth to health, data to insights is a really interesting shift. We can measure everything, and that's great. Like the data age is brilliant. We can mine it. We can use it. How are we using it? Data is already history. Insight is the future. How do we shift from one to the other? And then more recently, from asleep to awake, from from denial of, of historic facts to woke. And I don't mean it in an ironic way. I mean, we're now awake. What, what are we going to do with it? So those shifts, those changes, Massive, really, really important. There's a, a provocation that is happening in 2020 that is is getting people to be more active, getting people to 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 kind of be more willing to navigate the complexities of a changing world. Um, but it's not an easy it's not an easy thing to do, hey? Totally. No, I mean you're, you're absolutely right, John. And you know, there's lots of things happening all at once here. So being silent is being complicit. Really simple. If you say nothing, then you might as well be fighting again, you know, for, for the status quo. That's one thing. The second thing is um, increasingly we we are uncertain as to which way to navigate because the world, the consumer is changing. Gen Z are really interesting. Um, and, and therefore, we need, to, we need to open our ears and close our mouths. We need to listen to, to which way the world's going. And secondly, you know, the planet is talking and, and without wanting to, you know, become overly hippie about it, it's time that we really looked at what is enough. Um, and, and this is more than environmental. Our, our, our striving for more and more things 
makes us no happier. We own twice as much stuff as we did in 1974, and our happiness level hasn't risen. Arguably, it's gone down. And consequently, I think the three point in that is Christmas. Christmas presents don't bring people joy. Bringing families together brings people joy. And then I, I see this a lot in like the work of Kate Rayworth around donor economics. I mean, yeah, that thinking about what actually, what are we trying to get satisfaction from is changing, eh? Totally. And, and it, you know, the, you've also got the, this kind of shift into wellness and breath and meditation, all of these things that can be seen to be a bit woo-woo. It's all about the same thing. It's about working out how we can be a better us that lives longer, does better things, and is, treats people more fairly. And, and by the way, when you get all those things lined up, you'll produce better ideas. You'll run a better business. Um, and all of my big clients, not without exception, even those that you wouldn't think would be interested in this stuff, they're all interested in this stuff. They're all working out what the consumer wants, where they're going. They're all working out how to have a proper conversation about sustainability that isn't driven by the emotion of, of turtles wrapped in plastic and understanding that actually if we move towards a glass-based packaged world, that's going to increase climate change significantly then some things are going to have to still come in plastic. It's about understanding. It's about following the science and that and that really matters. And for 30 years, John, I've been doing this for 30 years, the consumer hasn't cared much and then the science has been there. Now the consumer really cares and we now need to bring in the secret weapon of science to direct that care. So from the clients you've been working with, is there an individual, is there a project where a, a company's really surprised you with the direction they've taken or they've really responded to that old versus new shift? They all have. I mean, I mean, genuinely, there's there's no one that isn't that isn't doing and engaging on this. And I I I woke up about five years ago and realized that the companies I wanted to work with, the Patagonias of this world, they didn't need me. Right? They 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 knew what they were doing. The companies that needed me, and I've worked with Interface for over thirty years now. Um, is that right? Over yeah. twenty years now, about twenty five years now. Um, uh, but the companies that did need me, they weren't necessarily doing great things. And so you kind of think, oh, I have to go and work with companies I don't necessarily like on the on the face of it. They're doing amazing things. And, you know, I, I, I'll just pick one, you know. I, I, I've got a love of the city of Atlanta because I go there. I've got one. I've got two clients there, but I go there phenomenal, to see. Phenomenal, phenomenal city. It's my favorite American city outside of, outside of New York, home of American hip hop right now. But I work with Coca-Cola there and, and I can't tell you what I do with them. Um, I've got about six or seven projects on the go. The ones that get the airtime, the ones that get the promotion on, on Instagram and stuff are the ones that are the least interesting, but they're really I like it. powerful. The secrets Coca-Cola have are the recipes and the projects of Mark Shaler. Just putting it out there. <laughs> It's, no, they've got more secrets than that. But some of the work I'm doing with them, the, you, the stuff that's below the radar, it, they're giving me my best, most audacious and most purpose-driven briefs. But to most people, they just put fizzy water in a plastic bottle and sell it. Trust me, they are an amazing organization who are, who are changing fast but everyone everyone is john whether that be them or samsung or bacardi whoever i'm working with they're doing amazing things when i worked with um when i worked with ray anderson all those years ago for interface 96 this was 
97. Um, we're on real early days of our journey. Oh, it, you you just come out as caring, and um and but but not just come out and said, hey, we might care a little bit. You Ray had come out and gone, I'm going to change the whole business model because this yeah, is we're going to have no negative impact. Big moonshot. It's what the kind of it's thinking in, we need people to do now. In, it's incredible. Well, and and look who's doing it. You know, it's the people that I didn't think would do it. Microsoft. What they're doing is out of this world. Their ambition is incredible. These not Microsoft, Nike, Coca Cola. These aren't brands that you would associate necessarily with good from five years ago. I, I tell you, the challenge we've got is people need to consumers need to be very open to the fact that this is going to happen, and those people who weren't associated with good may well be associated with good in the future and, and and it's time to let go of some of those frustrations and some of those some of that prejudice that we all carry mark one of the things i think you're really good at doing is pre- presenting and you have a, a new book out um do present do you want to tell us a little bit around um, the book do you present and your work in in that area sure yeah so i'm i'm, I'm not a presenter in terms of um, a formal trained presentation coach but i've been presenting for 30 years and i know what works and what doesn't work and um there was a desire to kind of up the workshop output of the do lectures which is which is a project i'm involved with and i offered to do a presentation skills workshop and it sold really well. It's a massive, I think 73% of all people are absolutely scared, um, witless about doing presentations. So um, we had 40 people, I think, on the first one, and it was great. And the second one sold out really fast, and that was great. And on the third one, I just watched somebody, and I realized that what was stopping them present wasn't technique. It was belief. And so you start to probe a little deeper into what it is that's in their way. And, and so the, the, the presentation workshop took on this other dimension, which was kind of part, part kind of, I don't know what you call it really, beyond coaching, almost into counseling really, and helping people unpick challenges that they've had in their lives. And then on the next one, I watched someone speak and I could just feel them not using their voice Feel them using a veneer. And I just said to them, who, who stole your voice? And the tears came. And we unpicked this, this really difficult knot of self-belief. Somebody had stolen their voice. Now, sometimes the person that steals your voice is your parents and they do it. They do it. Maybe they finish sentences for you when you're little, or maybe they fear that you're going to, your eccentricity, which is your strength, but your eccentricity is going to, be difficult for the world to take. So they speak for you and they steal your voice in a way. Maybe they're threatened by you. And, and that's often the case um, with partners. And it's, and it's way more common uh, for women to, to be subjected to this than men. But, but, but they, they have a voice stolen or people have their voice stolen because the partner's fearful that, that this person will become bigger than they are. And you see it in businesses as well. If you've got a really insecure boss or a really insecure team, you're, you're belittled, your, your words are not listened to, you're doubted. And, and all of these things steal your voice. The saddest thing to steal your voice, the saddest person to do it is yourself, where you've kept yourself safe by not putting your head up 
And in the end, safe becomes small and you keep yourself small. And that is, that's the trickiest one to work on. So who stole your voice has become a phrase I use a lot and it, and it unlocks a whole load of development opportunity. To me, it sounds a bit like you're doing a little bit of detective work or you're helping the person do that themselves. I guess for our audience, what tips, one or two tips would you give them in terms of becoming more effective climate storytellers? Okay, so so first off, people don't remember facts, but facts are really important. So you have to wrap your fact in a story. And that's what I do with music. I talk about my time age 15 in in the in the in the nightclub in Hinkley and and why that era was particularly important to me. And then I'll talk about sustainability and I weave them together. People don't remember facts, they remember stories. However, facts are much more likely to change opinions, so yet you have to have them in there. Secondly, you have to love yourself. If you don't like who you are, if you don't believe who you are, nobody else is going to like you. Nobody else is going to believe you. And I know you can still give about a great presentation and be an utterly unlikable person. But trust me, it's way, way, way easier to be likable and to be true to, to, to yourself. Thirdly, stop, te- stop selling yourself. Don't tell me how good you are. Show me. Don't tell me you're funny. Make me laugh. So stop telling me to buy you and start showing me why I should buy you. And I guess, fourthly, you have to, you have to have a really good understanding of what the audience wants to hear. And you have to have a really good understanding of how you can exceed in that area, how you can take them further. They know they're going to get, if you're talking about climate change, they know you're going to talk about parts per million they know you're going to talk about industry they probably know you're going to talk about aircraft they probably know you're going to talk about the animal agriculture world which we very rarely talk about but we really really need to but what they don't know is how you're going to talk about it so what stories from your past can make all of those things interesting sticky and relevant i think there's a super useful tip and i have to say thank you to you on the grounds that a lot of those things I learned from you over the years in terms of how I developed, how I talk around sustainability for my role. Um, one question I had for you is um, avoiding us as present company. Who's your, who's an example of one of your favorite communicators around climate at the moment? Greta is doing it unbelievably well. Lucy Siegel is doing it really well. Attenborough is doing it really well. Nobody else that I can I, I can think of is absolutely is shining. I think it's but, a nice challenge for but, for the audience, though. I think they have it, like, it doesn't have to be the biggest documentary on the BBC. It could be just how people find their way to tell stories in their role. And and yeah, absolutely. And the good news is, although I can't think of someone who's doing it brilliantly, other than those, everyone's doing it. And that wasn't the case ten years ago. You were looking at one or two people only. Now, everyone's talking about climate. Everyone's talking about sustainability. Everybody's talking about the things that really matter. And, you know, we're going to see an important and a necessary increase in those people talking about social inclusion and and diversity. And that's really, really important. Those people are are, are sustainability's friends. But it's a really fascinating area for 
for our listeners and i i'm really i'm really hoping that out there someone's listened to this podcast who in a couple of years when i will ask you the same question again it's one of our listeners that heard this or or whether regards of that took up that mantle and went and told a beautiful story that changed people's minds and opinions wouldn't that be amazing and and we need some diversity of story as well so so that then there needs to be inventive and creative and we need stories that make us really, really think. And that's going to need speakers who have different viewpoints. And that's a little bit missing from our world at the moment. Mark, one thing that has fascinated me is your relationship with Qigong and the kind of classes or how you've been inviting to people to join in your shed every morning. Let's have a little look at what, what does Qigong mean to you and what's it meant to you during lockdown? Oh, it's been a lifesaver for me. So, so Qigong is a form of Tai Chi, or Tai Chi is a form of Qigong. No one really knows. It's a 5,000-year-old set of meditations, movements, and breathing that are based deeply in the Tao or from the Tao and part of Chinese traditional Chinese medicine. Helps you age better, more gently, live longer and, and, and healthier lives. Um, and I went there 10 years, well, I, I did Tai Chi 25 years ago and felt amazing as a result of it. So every time I always felt a little bit down or a little bit like I needed a boost since then, I've always gone back to it. I kind of gave up weekly and went back to it in moments of, of, of stress. Um, and then 10 years ago, came across a guy called Lee Holden on the internet and really liked his style of teaching. So when lockdown started, the first thing I did that very first morning, I was feeling really pressurized and really um, uncertain as to where the future was going to be. So I went into the garden and I did some Qigong and I felt better. And I thought, well, if I feel better, maybe everybody else will feel better. So I just put on Instagram, I'm going to do Qigong every morning at eight o'clock. Who wants to join me? And on day one, there were seven people, three of which were living in my house. So I had four real people on there. And um, and now I have, it depends, but between between 60 and 120 people join me at eight o'clock most mornings. Well, I do it every morning, but they don't, they don't join every morning. Um, and, and we do Qigong. And Qigong is, is based on, there's so many synergies with where my business world is at the moment. Listen to your body, listen to your own, your own voice, move in time and sequence with the um with the, with the season the way that nature moves and protect yourself from from negativity so if you don't want to listen to the news don't listen to the news if you want to create this bubble around you that, that only you control who comes in and out we, we we physically do that in qigong in the morning it's a brilliant thing to try and, and what i love about the way that you present it is is it's different from when it's a a, a teacher in that you're often breaking the fourth wall. I think I described it the other week as you, you become like the Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Oh, that's, a, that's a compliment that is, you know. Um, yeah, I talk to the audience like they're with me. That's, that's the only difference I do. I, just, I talk to people as if they're in the room with me or they're in the – I normally do it from the garden, but it was in my shed today because it's cold. Um, and I talk to people as if they're there. And Nicola and I, my wife and I, get it really early and go for a walk at six o'clock. So I've done the walk. Nick and I have decompressed. We've had those conversations about how the world's going, what we're doing. And so we're able to then talk. Um, I'm able to reflect on some of those musings, um, whether that just be the way that, the way that Coot's parents, or the way, which is amazing. Coots are the best parents on the canal by far. Ducks are beautiful, but they're the worst parents on the canal. 
and and I and I just I just chew the cud on stuff like that, and before you know it, it becomes slightly metaphysical. And there are people that turn it on, John, as radio. So they don't do any of the exercises. They just make their breakfast listening to me talking rubbish and the birds singing and the wind blowing. And it's lush. I love it. I I love it. So, Mark, if if people want to find out more about your work and your projects, what can they what can they do? Okay, so the first thing they can do is um, my website, um, thisisape.co.uk. That's my work website. And then I've got a side project website um, called manyreasonstobecheerful.co.uk where I curate a number of talks from event an event I run up in North Wales every year. Um, and my, my communion talks, so everyone that's been on a communion is recorded, the all-day communion is recorded and on there, and we get guest blogs from people who, who are, talking about what makes them feel cheerful. There are playlists on there. There's there's all kinds of, of stuff on there. Um, I run a podcast called Making Things Better and Making Better Things, which is on um, iTunes and I think on the Android one as well. Um, and I've written a couple of books, uh, Do Present and Do Disrupt, which are available on the Do Book Company website. I'll take this moment to thank you, Mark, for your your time today it's been a real pleasure and we could probably talk for more hours and i might have to invite you back for another episode if this gets commissioned further so thank you so much for for your time and i hope you've enjoyed it well john thank you because you know you 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 carry your authority really lightly you are you're an amazing communicator and you change people's minds you're utterly likable and you are very necessary in terms of spreading the message further not just the message of interface that's a brilliant message but the message of change and the message of urgency so um it the feeling's mutual it's always a pleasure to catch up with mark a real ray of light when it comes to all things eco design and sustainability hopefully we've given you plenty of food for thought about generosity in lockdown and working out who stole your voice as you become an effective climate communicator it's been a fascinating exploration of mindset shift Thanks for joining us on Designing with Climate in Mind. If you're enjoying the series, please do subscribe and leave us a comment on our blog or rating if you can. On the next episode, I'll be talking to climate scientist Dr Ella Gilbert on the science, her activism and her views on what the design community can and must do to avert a climate emergency. Until then, goodbye and thanks for listening. This podcast is powered by Interface. And if you'd like to learn more about us and our flaws, you can check us out on Instagram at Interface. Thanks too to our producer Tangerine for helping create the series.